So the reading this evening is in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Hazel, thank you for bringing us that reading, and we're going to be referring to that together. So if you have a Bible, please do keep it open on page 1174, um, Ephesians chapter 2, and let's pray together. Loving God, we thank you that you speak to us today through your word in the Bible. Lord, please speak to each one of us this evening. Please show us your love for us. And please teach us about the difference you can make in our lives today. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but I love the before and after photos you sometimes see showing how things have changed. And I want to share two of my favourites with you this evening. Uh, The first is this one here. This is Chris the Sheep. Uh, He lives in Australia, and for many years at shearing time, uh, he would hide, and that's why he he got so woolly, and then uh, one year they found him, and uh, they sheared him, and this is what he looks like now. Uh, You can see he's wearing a coat to keep warm. It's much better for him. When they get that woolly, they get too hot, and um, all the rest of it. So that's my first before and after. Uh, Here's the next one. Let's have a look here. This is a car. As you can see, there's a little bit of rust some of the, some of the paintwork and bodywork needs a little bit of improvement. Uh, this car was found. It was taken to the classic car restorers, and now it looks like this. So it's a Ford Mustang 1969 in mint condition. What a change. Well, our question this evening is what change happens when someone becomes a Christian? What is the before and after when a person puts their trust in Jesus Christ? 
It's been wonderful to see this evening Elizabeth and Jan and Matthew baptised. Like many people who grew up in a Christian home, they may not know exactly when they came to faith. But no one is born a Christian. For every believer, there was a point where they first put their trust in Jesus. What kind of change happened in Matthew, in Elizabeth, in Jan, when they put their faith in Jesus Christ? Now, some people would say it's this kind of change. If we can have a look. It's a change for the worst. When you put your trust in Jesus, you go from being perfectly good to being an old wreck, uh, loaded down with, with religious rules and with guilt and with strange beliefs. Others would say the change is more like this. When you put your trust in Jesus, it's like getting a new steering wheel cover. So basically everything carries on as normal, but life's maybe a little bit more comfortable or a little bit more unusual, depending on how you think of it, but most things stay the same. Well, our Bible reading today is one of the most famous and one of the most important parts of the whole Bible on the change that happens to a person when they become a Christian. In this reading, the Apostle Paul writes to the early church in a place called Ephesus, and he shows them what they were like before they put their trust in Christ, and what they are like now they are following Jesus. And he shows them that it is a change like this, a change vastly for the better, and a change which affects everything. Now, I know this is a huge claim to make, and so I want us to consider it together this evening. For those who are Christian believers, it's so important that we understand the change that God's power has brought about in us. We need to know who we now are so that we can live out that identity. And for those who are not believers, we too need to see the before and after of trusting Christ. It shows us the change that God longs to work in us. And it shows us why Christians who love us are so keen for us to get to know Jesus Christ. So this evening we're going to look at the before and at the after of trusting in Jesus. And first, let's look at the before, the situation we are in before we come to Christ. And this is in verses 1 to 3 of our reading. What Paul says in these verses is hard-hitting. But Paul is not like a judge pointing the fingers at others. We'll see as we go on that he includes himself in what he says. No, Paul is like a doctor showing us how serious the problem is so that we can be cured. And he tells us that once we were dead in our sins. Look with me at verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Transgressions are ways that we cross over and do the things which God has told us not to do. Sins are ways that we fall short and fail to do what God wants. And we all have many crossings over and many falling short. Now the Bible tells us that God made us to live in a loving relationship with him. He made us to live under his loving rule. But that in our hearts we all turn away from God because we want to be in charge of our lives not him. We want to do life our own way without him. And the consequences of that turning away from God are so serious. We hurt ourselves. We hurt those around us. And worst of all, because God is perfect and cannot tolerate wrong, we cut ourselves off from relationship with God. To be separated from relationship with God is terrible because God is the giver and the sustainer of life. 
To be separated from him is to be dead, spiritually dead. So Christians, before our transgressions and sins were taken away by Jesus Christ, we were spiritually dead. And actually it showed, because we were deaf to the voice of his Holy Spirit, blind to the beauty of Jesus Christ, and insensitive to the love of God. But not only were we spiritually dead, these words tell us, we were also dominated by three forces. And we see the first of those forces in verse 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Before we trusted in Christ, we followed in the ways of this world. That means we were just swept along by the people around us, their attitudes and lifestyles. Well, the second force that, that dominated us is mentioned in the second half of verse 2. The ruler of the kingdom of the air. Now, that's the devil. He claims to be a ruler, but his kingdom is just air, completely insubstantial. The devil is at work deceiving people into disobeying God's good ways. And then the third force is mentioned in verse 3, our own sinful nature. That part of us that is set against God's loving rule and chooses to go against what we know God wants. We all want to be free in life. We want to have freedom. But before we trust in Jesus, we're not free. We're enslaved, we're dominated, we're tugged around by this unholy trinity of the ways of this world, the devil and our own sinful nature. They prevent us from living in God's good ways. And not only that, we were heading for disaster. Have a look at the end of verse 3. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Now, the country in the last few weeks has been gripped and shocked by the Mr. Bates versus the post office scandal and drama. Um, If you've missed it on the TV, it tells the true story of the false accusations, the lies, the abuse of power, which the post office inflicted on their own staff, the the sub-postmasters, ruining many lives. And watching this drama and following this scandal, I think all of us have been angry at what's happened... And we've all had that sense that we want the guilty to be brought to judgment. We want justice to be done. But of course, human justice is never perfect. Well, God's wrath is his right anger at all that's wrong. God's wrath isn't like human anger. It's never selfish or over the top. No, God's wrath is his holy and right hostility to everything that's wrong. God's wrath is actually good. It means that one day all wrongdoing will be punished. Justice will be done. But it is also a serious thing because we've all done wrong. Until our sins are taken away, we are heading for God's judgment. So what a before picture the Bible gives us. Please notice that Paul includes everyone in this, from the most rebellious to the most respectable and religious. He includes himself in this. Before we trusted in Jesus, we were dead in our sins, cut off from relationship with God, 
dominated by that unholy trinity of the world, the devil, the sinful nature, and heading for God's judgment. Now, it's so tempting as we see the before picture to say, no, no, this is far too negative. We human beings are essentially good. Well, it's true that we are made in God's image and that as humans we're capable of great good. But, you know, we only have to look at the newspapers and see the harm which human beings are inflicting on each other all around the world. We only have to look at our own lives and see how we hurt those we care about most and we can't stop doing it. And we can see that there is something very wrong in the human heart. What the Bible says about our situation before we trust in Jesus Christ is hard to hear, but it is realistic. Once we were dead in our sins. And God tells us this because he's like that loving doctor. He wants us to realize how serious the problem is so that we come to him for the cure. Well, that could be the end of the story, but wonderfully it's not. Because for the Christians that Paul was writing to, and for all who trust in Jesus, things have changed. There is an after. And this change is marked by the great word, but, at the start of verse 4. Let's look at verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. You see, once we were dead in our sins, but now... God has made us alive with Christ. And it's all because of God's great love for us. And God's love is amazing because he loved us when we were dead set against him. God loves us not because we're lovely, but because he is so loving. And because of his love, God made us alive with Christ. And did you notice in verses 5 and 6, that little word with comes three times. Look with me. Verse 5, made us alive with Christ. And verse 6, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Now we know that protesters sometimes glue themselves to things. They'll glue themselves to trains and to cars. And when I see that, you know what I think? What kind of glue are they using? Whenever I glue things together, they fall apart in five minutes. Where can we get this stuff? Well, occasionally, protesters glue themselves to each other. I think we've got a picture of that here. You can see these two ladies. They're in the Houses of Parliament, and they've glued themselves together. Now, if that glue is strong enough, where one goes, the other goes. What happens to one happens to the other. When we trust in Jesus Christ, we are united to him by faith. We are glued to Jesus, joined to Jesus by faith. What happens to him happens to us. That's why Paul says God made us alive with Christ. In his resurrection, God raised Jesus from physical death to life. Now, believers are united to Christ by faith. What happened to him happens to us. When we put our trust in Jesus, God raises us from spiritual death to new life. So now we are alive with God. We can hear his word. We can see his beauty. We can feel his love. Not only that... 
verse 6 tells us that God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, this really stretches our minds. In his ascension, Jesus was raised from earth back to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Again, if we trust in Jesus, we are joined to him by faith. Spiritually, we are where he is. So Christians, spiritually, we are already seated with Christ in heaven, even as we're also seated here on earth. Here's a mind-blowing truth. We have an intimate relationship with God now and a certain future with him because spiritually speaking, we are already seated with Jesus in heaven. Once we were dead in our sins, but trusting in Jesus, now God has made us alive with Christ. And actually, we saw that symbolized this evening, didn't we, in baptism. Jan and Matthew and Elizabeth were under the water for a time, symbolizing that once they were dead in their transgressions and sins, and then they were brought up from the water through their trust in Christ. They are now alive with God. Well, why has God done this? Why has he brought about this great before and after? This is what the last part of our reading, verses 8 to 10, tells us. Let's have a look at verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Grace means a sheer, undeserved gift. Grace is where you give a gift to someone who deserves absolutely nothing. Now, many people think the message of Christianity is, if only you do enough good works then you will earn a place in heaven. You will earn life with God. Can I say that is not the message of Christianity? The Bible is absolutely clear. We are not saved by works. No matter how much we give to charity, no matter how often we come to church, no matter how kind we are, we cannot earn life with God. And we don't have to, because we're saved by grace as a sheer gift. And it comes through faith. We receive salvation simply by trusting in Jesus, our Savior who took our sins away and who rose to new life. I'd like you to imagine for a moment a block of flats. And it's an unusual block of flats because the floor that you live on in this block of flats depends on how many good works you have done in your life, okay? So up at the top of the block of flats, you've got Mother Teresa and Nelson Mandela, people like that, who've done good works that have have, have changed the whole world. And then a little bit further down, people live there who are kind and, and trustworthy most of the time. And then as we get down into the bottom half of the block, you've got people who, they're nice company, but you wouldn't lend them your car or your bike, something like that. And then down on the ground floor of the block of flats are people who enjoy inflicting pain on others. So dentists live there and <laughs> Vladimir Putin and, and, and things like that. So you, I think you can picture my, my block of flats. Now, imagine you were given a pen and you were asked to draw a line on that block of flats separating the people who will get into heaven from the people who won't. Where would you draw the block of light, the, the, the line on the block of flats? I think most people would, 
work out which floor we'd be living on and then draw the line a little bit below that. Well, the time is coming when God will draw that line. But it won't be a horizontal line. It'll be a vertical line, separating people at every level of good works, those who have received his gift of grace from those who've rejected his gift of grace, those who have put their trust in Jesus the Savior from those who haven't. And the key question for us is not which floor we live on, but which side of that line will we be on? Now, many people are horrified by the message of grace. They say, no, no, this can't be right. If we're saved by grace, well, people, what, what's, what reason do people have to stop living wicked lives? So people all think they can get away with, with, with murder. Well, the answer to that comes in verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, that is given new life in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's not good works that lead to salvation. It's actually the other way round, precisely the other way round. Salvation leads to good works. When we receive God's gift of salvation through trusting in Jesus, we find we have a new purpose and a new passion to do the good works which God has prepared for us to do. So what a before and after God gives us in the Bible. What a change takes place when a person puts their trust in Jesus. For those who are not believers, this is the change that God wants to work in you. He wants to bring you from being dead in your sins to being alive with Christ, alive to him. That's why Christians who love you Long for you to get to know Jesus and come to put your trust in him. So a great way to do that is to keep coming on Sunday evenings. Come along to that Christianity Explored course that Richard mentioned tomorrow evening. Get to know Jesus. Discover the life that he can give you. And then for those of us who are believers, well, God wants us to grasp the generosity of his grace lavished on us. And he wants us to grasp the change that his power has worked in us. We were helpless, dead in our sins. But he made us alive with Christ. We were enslaved by the world, the devil and our sinful nature. And he set us free so that now we can say no to those forces. We deserved nothing but his wrath. And yet he gave us the gift of salvation. And you know, as that sinks in, as that grace and that power sinks into us, we find that we want to do the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. That we want to live for him at home, loving and serving those we share a house with. We want to witness for him at work, at school, in the community, with our lives and our words pointing to the beauty of Jesus. We want to live for him in the church family, loving and serving our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not good works that lead to salvation. It's salvation that leads to good works. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for your love for each one of us. We thank you for the change that you have brought about in Elizabeth and Matthew and Jan, in all who trust in Jesus Christ. Lord, once we were dead in our sins, but now you have made us alive with Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for those who don't yet know this great change. Help us to get to know Jesus and to receive the gift of salvation from him. And Lord, for those who you have changed in this way, we pray you would give us that new purpose and that new passion to do the good works which you've prepared for us to do, not because good works lead to salvation, but because you have saved us and changed us. Amen.